0: So I I really hope that you had a wonderful Christmas season, a Christmas week. It is a little bizarre. I don't know if you find it bizarre having the holidays kind of fall on a Sunday. It's a little weird, you know, Christmas Eve on a Sunday and now New Year's Eve on a Sunday. So, like, we were talking about this a little bit as a family because we got, like, our New Year's Eve plans tonight and we do what we do. My daughter, who's a missionary, she leaves. She's got a 6 a.m. flight tomorrow morning, which means it's 3 a.m. I got to be at an airport, so please pray for her and pray for us. My wife's like, this is awesome. We're staying up all night. Like... (laughs) I'm not staying up all night, babe. I, it's just not happening. I was like, I'm tired already just thinking about that. Right? But this is a time of year where I do, I, I'm one of these type of guys, I do, I make New Year's resolutions. And I've been here for 13 years now and I ask how many of you do, and none of you do. And that's okay. I, no one raises up their hands when I, when I ask this question. So this year, I'm not asking. I'm not asking you if you're making any resolutions this year. But I'm the type of guy who does. And, and I actually get this from the biblical principle to train to run the race. See, every single one of us as a follower of Jesus are called to run a race. And sometimes life feels like a race. <laughs> And it feels like a race, if we're honest, it feels like a race that we're running while we're cramping (laughs) or while our knees are going out or while our hips are out of joint or while we're dealing with back pains or a migraine. Some of us feel like we're running this race and we're carrying a 100 people on our shoulders while we run it. And the Bible tells us that we need to train as those who are running the race. That's why I take stock of my life. It's not to just have a New Year's resolution and to write a blog post on January 1st that I never look at again for the rest of the year. It's because I'm actually trying to seek God, going, God, what do you want to do in my life So that I can continue to run the race that you have before me. What do you want to do in my health? What do you want to do in my finances? What do you want to do in my spiritual walk with you? All of these things. That's why I do this. So I spend some time, you know, usually this week and next week, praying and and reflecting and just seeking God on what he has to say for me, what does he have to say for us as a church? What does he have to say for my family, as we're trying to follow that biblical principle of of training to run the race? And so this past week, um, I was reading like I normally do this time of year. I follow a lot of different Christian leaders. I, I like listening to blog, uh, uh, to podcasts. I like reading different blogs, and I was reading a lot of different Christian leaders this week. And from different denominations, different backgrounds, different parts of the world, and there's a common theme that many, many Christian leaders are hitting on right now, is that our world is increasingly anxious. We live in very, very anxious times, And in one of the authors, and I wish I could quote the author and say his name. I don't remember who I got this from. If someone else read this article, let me know after the service. I like to give credit where credit is due. I forgot to write it down. I'm not going to forget who wrote this. I forgot who wrote this, okay? (laughs) But he talked about the huge necessity of the church to be radically different than the culture around us. Where culture almost seems to be feeding Fear and anxiety. The church needs to be the exact opposite. We are not supposed to be the place that is firing up everybody's anger and division and anxiety. We are the place to bring peace and hope and joy and mercy and love. The author wrote this. I wrote the quote down again. I wish I wrote his name. Said after all. The world needs an alternative to itself, not an echo of itself. We need vibrant, healthy, strong churches to speak radically different, a different message to our culture. And so what I wanted to do today as we kick off this new year is I wanted to um, re-give a talk that I gave in early September. Some of you feel like that's a jip. Well, that's what it is. <laughs> so God put on my heart, I want to go back to our purpose as a church to remind us who God calls us to be as a family of Christians, a family come together under the name of Jesus, to do this thing called church here in this part of the world, in this city at this time, because we are living in a season where culture just seems to be radically changing. There's so much going on in the world right now. It's hard to keep up. And the reality is there's a lot of change happening here in our church right now, too. And some days it feels like it's hard to keep up with all the change that goes on. And I know a lot of us, when it comes to the topic of change, we don't like it, (laughs) right? We don't tend to like, especially huge, big, radical change. Now, here's the actual truth about change. You don't have a problem changing stuff. You actually don't have a problem with change, when you're the one controlling the change. If you made a decision to leave a job and go somewhere else, that yeah, might be a little bit stressful, but you made the decision. That change is good. If you got laid off, someone else fired you, that change is not so good. The <laughs> change that we control feels all right. Change out of our control, Ah! (laughs) we spiral, we get anxious, we get nervous, we have panic attacks, we go see the doctor, we go and leave, we get little pink pills, and we chug them down like Tic Tacs, okay, we just have to deal with this, right, and so this is why I want us to go back to our purpose as a church, because no matter how much things change around us, Right, God's purpose remains the same. God's plans for the church are unchanging. The leaders might change. The methods might change. The ministry structures might change. But the message is eternal. The message of Jesus and the call of the life of the Christian never changes in that. So what I want to do is I want to read from Greenbelt's constitution. This is a document that we, you know that we follow. It's kind of how we're structured, how we're governed. If you haven't read that document, man, please read it. It's like amazing. It's like great. It's gripping and it's exciting, and and it's kind of a joke. Like no one reads that document as much as I do. I go to meetings all the time. I'm quoting the constitution all the time because it is. It drives how we do things here. Yes, the Bible drives what we do. But the Bible doesn't always tell us how to deal with staffing structures and elders and deacons and what we vote on and different things like that. So in our Constitution, it says these words about our purpose as a church family. It says Greenbelt Baptist Church exists to worship God. That's why we exist. We exist to worship God and to draw people closer to God through. So we have methods for drawing people closer to God Uh, to draw people closer to God through Jesus Christ by personal evangelism, ongoing discipleship, and nurturing relationships. Vision statements and other communication tools may be created, refined to provide clarity and focus for different seasons of the congregation's life. However, Greenbelt Baptist Church's ministries and activities shall always connect with this purpose. We exist to worship God to draw people closer to God through Jesus Christ. And we do that through personal evangelism, ongoing discipleship, and nurturing relationships. And so when we kicked off our series of The Way, the whole purpose of the last 16 weeks was to help us draw closer to God, to help every single one of us hear the voice of God more clearly in our life. So that we could be used by God for this purpose. So now as we get ready to kick off 2024, that's why I was really praying and feeling I want to just go through these purposes again as a reminder. As a reminder of God's plans for us. And so I'm going to share these three purposes. We'll look at some scriptures that help to clarify them and look at how this plays out a little bit um, specifically in the life of our church. So let's start with this. The first purpose of how we draw people closer to God through Jesus is we do this through personal evangelism. And I know I just scared half the room. (laughs) For some reason, I don't know when it happened, but at some point in church history, we made evangelism the pastor's job and nobody else's. And we were very, very happy to abdicate that role to the paid person, right? Because for some reason, we've made this idea of evangelism be this big, huge, scary monster word. What I hope to do as we talk about personal evangelism for a few minutes is to take the fear out of it and to help see yourself in it, okay? right In John chapter 14... Jesus said these words, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, that one statement right there is foundational for who we are as a church, <laughs> I know we live in a day where there's a lot of debate on who Jesus is. There's a lot of debate on, did Jesus even really live? People actually debate this. There are churches and entire denominations that are splitting over the idea of who Jesus is. That he's just some rabbi. He's just a good idea. He's just a good principle. He's just a good moral value for people to follow. See, we here as a church, we firmly believe that Jesus lived, died, rose again, ascended back to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit to empower Christians to live righteous and holy lives. He's not just a good idea. (laughs) He's the way, the truth, and the life And no one comes to the Father except through Him. My Muslim friends don't believe the same thing I believe. My Baha'i friends don't believe the same things that I believe. We believe radically different things about how to get to God the Father. When the world wants to say every religion is the same, we can be a little bit fearful and say, yeah. No, the answer is no, okay? It's no, we don't believe the same. Now, don't say it that meanly to people, don't yell at them, (laughs) but it's not the same, right? And then in Matthew chapter nine, verses 37 and 38, Jesus said this, the harvest is plentiful. Jesus is looking out at all of the people that God loves, (laughs) Jesus is looking out at all of these people who are hurting and broken and lost and following religious rules and traditions that none of them can keep in their own human strength and power. And when Jesus was actually coming into the city of Jerusalem, he saw all of these men and women and boys and girls, and he wept over them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. No one is caring for them. With the heart of God. And Jesus sees that crowd. And he says this harvest. Is plentiful. But the laborers. Are few. So therefore pray. Earnestly to the Lord. Of the harvest. To send out laborers. Into the harvest field. See. That's you and I. <laughs> your workplace your school your family your community your sports team your nerd group whatever you are a part of the harvest is huge people dealing with their anxiety and their worries and their fears and their hang-ups and and believing what the world tells them will bring them hope And they follow what the world tells them to follow, and yet they're still without hope. You and I are sent out into this harvest field as ambassadors of Jesus with a call to let them know that there's hope. To let them know there's an answer, right? The heart of Jesus and the mission of the church isn't to just huddle in our church buildings, The mission of the church is not just to run programs that you and I benefit from. (laughs) The programs and the ministries that we run here are done in such a specific way to build you up, to send you out into the harvest field. I want you to grow in your faith, not just so you could receive blessings. Now, receiving blessing is great. I pray all the time to receive a blessing. But I want to see you grow in your faith so you can be a blessing to hurting people. Because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You will feel more alive. You will feel closer to God, not when you're getting from God. But when God is giving through you, you will feel more alive, I promise you. I I talk to so many people who go from church to church to church, and they're trying to find this elusive what I get from it. And when I meet with Christians who come and they say, well, Pastor Kevin, I want to meet with you because I'd like to discuss, if I make Greenbelt my church and I become a member here, I want to know what am I going to get? And I said, oh, hang on. And then my French-Canadian prophet gift comes out, and I go... You're going to get a pastor who's going to call out all your sin and expect your life to change. That's what you're going to get. And you're going to get programming and preaching and everything, small groups that's not going to let you stay the way you are. Because I love you too much to leave you that way. And sometimes you stay. <laughs> and sometimes you don't. <laughs> If you're going from church to church about what you get from it, you're missing out on the hearts of Jesus. Because Jesus is calling all of us to personal evangelism. And what I love so much about how that plays out in the life of our church is suddenly it's not just the staff's role to tell people about Jesus. It's not about, well, we've got to run this big, huge program. Or we got to do this big, ginormous outreach concert. Or we need to run these big, huge, flashy events to draw people in to hear the message of Jesus. No, what we do is we gather, we worship, we learn, we grow, we pray, we spur one another on, we see God work in our lives to send us out, and then suddenly your story, starts impacting more lives. Like when Jesus says, pray earnestly that the Lord will send out more laborers, right? Just think of the impact. We could be a church where I'm the only person telling people about Jesus. And we'll get some people who will come to the church. And we'll get some people who will come to know Jesus. What if all 150 of you are telling people about Jesus? The impact is ginormous of this, And again, it can be scary. I don't know how to do it. I'm going to change that this year. If you're sitting there going, I don't know how to do this. I'm going to make sure you know how to do this. Because that's Ephesians 4. The chapter where it says God gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. God gave those people to the church so they could do all the work. So Christians could just get fat and lazy and consume. If you're you're new to Greenbelt, welcome. I say it with a smile, and I'm joking. It's not what it says. It says, God gave those gifts to equip you for the ministry that God has called you to. Right? Me, I'm an evangelist. I love talking about Jesus. I love telling people about Jesus. I love answering people's questions about Jesus. But the call of the evangelist is to equip the church to be evangelistic. So if you don't know how to do it, I'm going to make sure you know how to do it this year <laughs> because it's personal. It's personal. It's every single person who comes into your life. I have um, a group of guys that I play board games with. So there's four of us and it's a four-player game. So don't ask. You can't come. Okay. <laughs> it's a four-player game. I already found my four guys, but I'm, I'll am i play with another four people if you want to come and nerd out with me. It's a nerd game. It really is. I'm not even going to describe it. It's my wife played me, with me during the Christmas holidays because I was bored and she humored me. She said she liked it. I don't believe her, um, but she humored me. Uh, the nerd game. And so I play Dan, who's the chairman of our elders board, and myself are the only two Christians. And I play and the two other guys who joined us, two non-Christians. We got together uh, right before the holidays, early December. We played this game, nerd game. and um, And after the game... We probably spent about an hour, one of my friends, just talking about the sheer hopelessness of this world. The war in the Middle East, the war in Iraq, the economy, watching his stocks go down, watching his bills go up. And for an hour, I listened quietly and patiently as he shared his soul. Shared his heart, shared his pain after we nerded out for four hours. <laughs> okay? And I went, you know what? I have an answer to that. <laughs> there is hope. <laughs> and it's not in government. And I love government. And government does good stuff. And it's not in business. And I love business. Business does good stuff. It's not in finances. But I love finances. And money does good stuff. <laughs> the hope is in Jesus. And you you know me, and you know what I believe, and I'm always here to talk about it with you. We've got to learn to get better at that. Because people desperately need hope. And it's going to come through personal relationships. It's going to come through personal evangelism. So that's what we want to focus on. That's a part of our DNA. It's who we are. When people say, how come we don't run a big program? Because we're not a big program church. Personal evangelism, part of the core of who we are. Okay, let's move on to the second point, ongoing discipleship. Ongoing discipleship. I love Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 22 to 24. It says this, the Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. It says, you were taught with regards to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. So what he's talking about here, he's saying before you knew Jesus, you were, dealing, you were lost in your sin. You were dealing with sin, and you had this former way of living. But now, because of Jesus, you're new. And he continues in verse 20, he says, he goes, you've been made new in attitude of your mind. You're a new creation. When, when you come to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes into you, you're new. I always say, the old you is dead. When Kevin accepted Jesus 25 years ago on his way home from work, Kevin died on that train ride. And someone new got off the train. And then I had to explain who this new person was to my fiance Danielle. (laughs) And we had to wrestle with dealing with this new person. (laughs) And then it continues, verse 24. So we put on the new self. (laughs) There's this constant action that we are growing into the new self. Spiritually, you are completely, totally new. As soon as you accept Jesus, you are new, you are clean, you are holy, you are perfect, you are righteous, you're a saint. But we go through our life, I don't feel perfect, I don't feel holy, and I sure don't feel like a saint. (laughs) Because we're in this journey of putting on the new self. And we're created to be like God. In true righteousness and holiness. See, there's a journey here that all of us are on. I jokingly, the way I summarize Ephesians chapter 4 is I summarize it this way You ain't dead, you ain't done. That's how I summarize this. You ain't dead, you're not done. When someone says, Well, Pastor, you know, like I feel like my Christian journey is kind of, you know, I've arrived. Really? Wow, can you show me? Because I'm still figuring it out. (laughs) I'm still trying to arrive. And I know I'm never going to fully arrive until I'm on my deathbed at 108. (laughs) I speak that word into my life, okay? 108, my great-grandmother lived to 103. The goal is to beat Great Granny Johnson, okay? 108, and I close my eyes on this earth, and I open it in heaven. Then I've arrived. I ain't dead, I ain't done. There's a journey of ongoing discipleship. And there are phases of our journey when we are really hurt and wounded and beaten up and we need people to help us and walk with us and love on us and care for us. And then there are seasons when we're doing all right. Not perfect, but all right. And so we're going to make sure We create space in our life to bless the people who are hurting. You see, discipleship is done in the context of relationship. Again, I think this is what's happened in the Western church. We made the word discipleship mean get a master's degree in seminary. If you don't have a master's of divinity or a Ph.D. in theology, you're not doing discipleship. Discipleship is simply following in the feet of Jesus and doing what you saw Jesus do. Heal the sick, reach the poor, love the hurt and the lonely and the broken, go out into the harvest field. (laughs) It's part of our discipleship journey, right? So that's why everything that we do in our programming here is geared around helping people grow more into the image of Jesus. Kid zone, teenagers, adults, we're all on this journey of being transformed, We're all being taught the ways of Jesus, and we're allowing Jesus to heal our own personal baggage. (laughs) All of us, mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, have junk that we need to let God work on. (laughs) That's a part of our discipleship journey, and it's ongoing. And we do it with a heart of compassion, a heart of acceptance, a heart of welcoming people into that journey. Because we're all on it together. We don't wave a holy finger. No, I've never waved a holy finger at someone to point out how bad their sin is. Ever. Because we're all in this. We're all figuring this out. We're all trying to trust Jesus more. We're all... And it's continuous, and it keeps on going. So ongoing discipleship. And then finally, nurturing relationships. And I, do, I honestly believe this is one of our strengths, is nurturing relationships. Jesus said this in John 13, verses 34 to 35. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. These are the words of Jesus to his disciples. <laughs> love one another another as i have loved you you must doesn't say you should say it would be nice if (laughs) he says you must love one another when you think about the love of jesus the love that jesus has for you jesus laid down his life and died for you that's love i like you a lot I don't know if i die for most of you. I like you. I really do. You're awesome. But God, creator of the heaven and earth, left his throne in heaven to die for his enemies, for people who wanted nothing to do with God, for people who wanted to go their own way, to people who wanted to be God. And God in his love, sacrificed everything for us so how can we call ourselves men women boys and girls that say we love jesus and we follow jesus and yet we're not willing to love one another it's a journey to figure out how to love one another because sometimes i'm not very lovable Sometimes we have stuff and my unlovable stuff bangs up against your unlovable stuff. And then we got to figure this out. (laughs) But there's this clear commandment that we must love one another. And then Jesus says this in verse 35 of John 13 says, by this, by what? By the love you have for one another, everyone, that harvest field, all the people out there, they will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. One of the things I love hearing about our church is how people feel loved here. And there's a little part of me that feels guilty, again, because as our church has gotten a little bit bigger, I don't know everyone the way I wish I could know everyone. I don't get to visit everybody the way, way I wish I could. But I have to trust that we're creating environments where everybody feels loved, See, our purpose as a church is not, you know, it's not that everybody has to know everybody. Because that's not possible. You can't intimately know everybody at Greenbelt. You just can't. But everybody has to be intimately known. And so we got to do our part to make sure that those environments happen. You have to do your part to step in to that environment. I can't show up and drag you kicking and screaming into a loving environment. because then it wouldn't be very loving, would it? <laughs> Come on, you're coming to my small group. You know this is kind of work that way. <laughs> you know, maybe it should, sometimes I don't know. But this is what I love hearing again and again and again is the people who were blessed by this church, <laughs> whether it's through kids' zone, fusion, life groups, everyone. Again, because the world is messy. The world is going through so much change. We're all dealing with stuff. We need to constantly be making space for nurturing relationships in our lives. It's personal evangelism, ongoing discipleship, nurturing relationships. That's how we feel that we're helping draw people closer to Jesus. And again, the structure for that can change staffing model can change the programming can change but the heart of that doesn't (laughs) the heart of that doesn't so i just want to kind of wrap up quickly just a few thoughts again i shared these in september i want to just share them again as a reminder because again it's been fascinating meeting with different christian leaders across our city and across our country and um, these are words that You know, God gave to to my wife kind of in the middle of the night, one night when she was praying. And so we've been trying to implement these these three words into our family, into our life. And uh, and it's been fascinating hearing from other Christian leaders, hearing from God these same three words. And, And they're not programs and they're not telling us how to do things. But there just seems to be this stirring of God in his church among Christian leaders around the things that God wants to do so the first is this idea of unity, the idea of unity and that unity. And I think the challenge of the word unity is it means we all have to agree. It doesn't unity doesn't mean we all agree. And every single church believes exactly every single thing from the every single verse. Right. But it means we're united under Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, my brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. Yeah, oh, no. I talk to my non-Christian friends who kind of look at the church of Canada or the Western church <laughs> And they go, um, you guys fight a lot, a lot. My Christian friends know more about what we hate than what we love. And, and that's just because hate just sells and, and hate is easier to see and hate. We remember it more because it digs in, I think a little bit deeper into our minds and into our soul, we remember when someone hated us. We forget when someone blessed us. <laughs> right? So hate, we remember it. And I think we remember it because it's not natural. See, hate is something that is not natural. It's not the way God intended us to live, how God intended us to live. It's not normal. It's abnormal. <laughs> and so it clings to us in a different way. And so this call to unity... Again, doesn't mean we all agree, but it means we have to learn how to lovingly disagree. There are Christian leaders in our city who I love dearly, and I get together with them, and I have breakfast with them, and I have coffee with them, and I consider them friends. And we fundamentally disagree on things. And that's Okay. And they look at me, oh, don't worry, Kev, one day you'll come to know the truth. And i look at them, oh, no, Bob, don't worry, one day you're going to come to know the truth. And we laugh and we can have another cup of coffee together. I don't want to punch him in the throat. He doesn't want to, like, cast me out, call me a heretic, put nasty things about me on Twitter. We just disagree. Right? And I think when we learn to do that as the church... Um, it, it it's, does something for the sake of the good news of Jesus, right? Setting aside our differences for the sake of seeing Jesus glorified in our city. Setting our deep held convictions. Again, not about who Jesus is or how to be saved and all of that. Someone says, I don't believe Jesus is the only way to God the Father. We need to talk because that's not unity. That's we have two different religions. Okay, I'm talking people who believe in Jesus as the son of God, the only way to God the father, right? When we figure out how to do this more, we do create a spirit of unity, even in our differences, that suddenly we see God moving in that. Because why would God move in a church that's constantly fighting and bad-mouthing and slamming other Christians? Why would God move in that? He won't. And why won't he? Because it's in direct disobedience to God's word. When when Jesus says you must learn to love one another and we're perfectly okay with hating other brothers and sisters. Why would God bless our ministry that way? Right? God doesn't bless disobedience. Just how it works. (laughs) He just doesn't. He corrects and rebukes and tries to guide us in our disobedience. But he blesses when we are obedient. And unity is a big thing about this. And I, the reason why a lot of us as Christian leaders think unity is so crucial, because look at the world. Do you see unity anywhere? No. Do you see unity in leadership, in in, in in government, in business, it's like it, it, it's a mess. And for some reason, we're, we're we're camping out in camps. And I think, and again, I, I and I'm a social media guy. I'm not one of these anti-social media pop 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 type of people. I like social media. I think it's a good tool. But social media feeds me what I want to see. Everyone thinks exactly like me in the whole world. It's amazing. Everybody loves, everyone hates Disney Star Wars. Everyone only loves original Star Wars. Okay, no one, liked, no one likes Disney Star Wars, as an example. And then I meet someone who likes Disney Star Wars, and I'm like all offended by you. It's like, what? How could you, what? How could you, Ah! Oh! It's like, whoa, calm down, Kevin. It's Disney Star Wars, man. <laughs> okay, but you think the world is so divided because it looks that way, but when the church is showing true unity, that we learn to work in our differences, people notice that, because no one else seems to be doing it, right? So I think this is why this is so important as we move forward as a church, is looking at this idea of unity. The other thing is strategy. I love this one. Proverbs 24, verse 6 says, surely you need guidance to wage war. You need guidance to wage war. Those of my my friends and those of you who attend here who have a military background or, you know, police background, those type of things, you know, you get this. You don't go off on a campaign. You don't go off on a mission. You don't pull someone over on the side of the road who's speeding without a plan. You're trained. You're prepared. You're ready. Why? Because you're in a war. I think we as Canadian Christians, we forget that we're in a war. (laughs) We're just loving life, and it's comfortable, and everything's great. You're in a spiritual war. So we need guidance. We need a strategy, right? And it continues in uh, Proverbs 24, 6, says, Victory is won through many advisors. There's another proverb where it says, victory lies with the Lord, but the horse is prepared for battle. If you want to get on your war horse and step out into a spiritual war field, the horse is prepared. Victory lies with God. Absolutely. But we do our part to prepare. Right? We don't just sit around and hope that God shows up and does something. We believe that God's going to show up and do something. We do. Absolutely. I believe that sometimes God just shows up and does something that I was not expecting. You know, But we don't put off difficult decisions. We don't put off having difficult conversations just hoping that God does something. We pray. We worship. We listen. We seek God. We get to work. We roll up our sleeves and we move. And God guides us in the movement. <laughs> you know? And, and you, you all know this in your own personal life. Right? As you're praying for something, you're praying for something, you're praying for something. And you just, I'm not getting an answer from God. I'm not getting an answer. I feel close to God. I, I feel like, you know, my relationship with God is good, but I'm just not getting an answer. I'm just not getting an answer. And then you take a step and you make a decision. Doesn't be a major one, but just a little decision on something. And then God shows up. It's like this faith thing. There's faith, but then there's action. That's why next week we're going to start going through the book of James for the next four weeks. because The book of James is all about that. Our faith and action and how they play out together. Is we pray and we pray and we have faith and we're seeking God. And then we take a step. And God goes, good job, faithful servant. (laughs) And then he blesses. And then he guides the next step. Or he goes, whoa, that was really off. (laughs) Sorry, Lord, let's try it again. And you take another step in a different direction. It works that way. It's a fascinating journey that God does in our church. But it requires us to do our part. It requires strategy. And then the last point, just very quickly, is I believe God calls the church. To sacrifice. In Matthew chapter 19 verses 29. It says this. Anyone who has left houses. Or brothers or sisters. Or father or mother. Or wife or children. Or fields. He's basically saying. What everything that's important in your life. Everything that's important in your life. If you leave those things for Jesus's sake. You will receive a hundred times as much. And will inherit eternal life. Right? This isn't saying, if you tithe, you're going to get more money. Or if you volunteer at the church, you're going to get a new car. Okay, That's not what this is saying. But God does bless. He does. He blesses with money. He blesses with new cars all the time. Right. But what this is saying is, this is saying that we got to put our priorities in place. Of seeking first God's kingdom. And sometimes... Seeking first God's kingdom means I sacrifice comfort. I sacrifice ease. I sacrifice my time. I sacrifice financially. I sacrifice in order to see God's kingdom move. One of the things that we, how we tried to implement this into our lives, and I'm not sharing this as a hero, please, at all. But I'm just sharing it as an example, is I choose to live a life to bless others. I choose it because there are days I don't want to do it. <laughs> Most days, I don't want to do it. I want to receive blessing. I deserve blessing. I've earned blessing. Soon as you start talking that way, you know you're ugly. Right? You know you're not following Jesus. <laughs> okay? But our flesh does that sometimes. And in those moments where I, des- I want, I don't want to, that's when I go, no, you're going to bless. <laughs> you're going to sacrifice something. You're going to give. You're going to do something. It it just develops that spiritual discipline (laughs) that it's not about me, (laughs) that it's about God's kingdom and what God wants to do through me and through my family, right? And so we fall and and we do this. We have this mindset of sacrifice again because Jesus sacrificed everything for us. (laughs) We worship and follow a sacrificing God. See, that Jesus would go to a cross and that the wrath of God, that the wrath that God has against sin would be put on the Son of God instead of on sinful humanity is ginormous. This is why me and my other religious friends don't believe the same thing. They believe they have to work, 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 and work to please God. I believe there is nothing I can do to please God. That God is fully pleased in the work of Jesus on the cross, that when Jesus lived a sinless life, that he was the perfect lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the earth. When he died on that cross and he said, it is finished. Sin has been dealt with. And I received that freely while I was still a sinner, while I was still no good while I still had everything going on in my heart, mind, and soul that I had. And he brings you on a journey of nurturing relationships, ongoing discipleship, personal evangelism, to grow us into the image of Christ. We follow a sacrificing God. So how could we never, ever welcome sacrifice in our own lives? We model Jesus the most when we lay down our wants and our desires and our plans for his wants and his desires and his plans. And the beauty of that life is Jesus says when you do that first, everything else gets taken care of. (laughs) You get everything else anyways. (laughs) But you get it with peace and you get it with hope and you get it with joy. So maybe you're here today, or maybe you're in the room, maybe you're watching online, and this idea of this sacrificial God is new to you. And I meet people all the time, and it is. You're you're not hearing that by accident. You're hearing that because God wants you to know that he sacrificed so much for you. (laughs) That he loves you so much just the way that you are. That you can come to him just the way that you are. By simply praying a little thing like, Father, forgive me a sinner. Thank you that Jesus sacrificed everything for me. Come into my life. Bring me on this journey. If you pray like that today, come and tell me after the service. I'd love to celebrate and rejoice with you. And for those of us who've prayed this way, yeah, whether a week ago or whether decades ago, let's step into this new year. Not asking you to make a new year's resolution. Don't do it. But I want you to ask God, God, where can you use me to create more unity? God, what is the strategy that you have in my life to grow in my faith, to be a part of the work that my church is doing to bring Jesus to this city and the world? And God, what might you be calling me to sacrifice this year so I could see your kingdom come and your will be done? Let's pray. Lord God, I praise you. Thank you that we can come to this space not in our perfection, but in your perfection. We come into this space, um, not under our name, but under the name of Jesus. And we come into this space knowing, Lord, that you want to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine through your power at work in the church. And so, Father, we see this new year ahead, and we ask, God, that you would move. God, we ask that you would bless God, we ask that you would guide. God, I ask that you would heal. I ask that you would restore. God, I ask that you would do what you want to do as we submit our plans, our wills, our desires to your plan, your will, and your desires. Father God, the world desperately needs an alternative to itself. Help us to not echo the world in how we're living our faith. But, God, grow us into men, women, boys, and girls who are following Jesus and use each and every one of us for your glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.